Today on the Almond Journey podcast. With the dendrometers, it's literally real time. It's telling you a better story of what that tree is going through. And so I think for me, that was something that was really convincing that I thought, now, you know, this is something that is a game changer. Sal Parra Jr. joins the show to talk about tech he's using to improve his water efficiency. Welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast, brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually, of course, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their communities, and advance the almond industry. Today's episode takes us west of Fresno on Highway 180, then south of Kerman to the town of San Joaquin. We visit with Burford Ranch Assistant Manager Sal Parra Jr. Sal grew up on the farm where he lives now and gets to work alongside his father to manage 11,000 acres in western Fresno County. 2,800 of those acres are in almonds. The rest are in a variety of crops including wine grapes, garlic, onions, parsley, and several others. Farming has always been a part of Sal's life for really as long as he can remember. My dad has been in farming for 50 years. He came here as a teenager from Mexico and um, he's been on the Burford Ranch for 50 plus years. So he's the general manager and you can say I'm his assistant, but we really, we work in tandem and work together. And so as I was growing up, I uh, looked up to him. The company was also uh, into almonds, not too much, but we were growing a few hundred acres of almonds, primarily on flood irrigation around Kerman. That was kind of our beginning with almonds back in 1984. With that background, Sal graduated from Fresno State in 2008, majoring in agribusiness with a minor in plant science to qualify as a pest control advisor. As I was growing up, um, Dr. Burford noticed that I was very interested in the farm. So right out the gate, you know, I wasn't even able to to search for a job because there was already a job waiting for me um, here on the Burford Ranch, which I was uh, very grateful for. Ever since then, I've gone back and went back and did a master's program, also at Fresno State in business administration, to understand capital, understand investments. My MBA project was on almonds and permanent crops and how, you know, as a farm, we were we had to evolve and we had to move away from row crops and go into more permanent crops because of the higher costs in water and other resources. And so developing that plan was part of my, my master's project and, and um, something that we actually put to good use in 2016 when we planted about a thousand acres, a dozen additional acres of, of almonds and also some walnuts. But looking at, you know, that profitability over time and the best use of a resource, which in our case is, is water and uh, the limitation of it. And water is exactly what today's episode is all about. Throughout California, and especially in areas like western Fresno County, where Sal farms, finding ways to continually get more crop per drop is a big priority. Over the years, the Burford Ranch has transitioned from flood irrigation to include micro-sprinklers and drip. While conserving water, they've also been able to expand their yields from about 1,500 to 1,800 pounds per acre in the 1980s to as much as 4,000 pounds today. But is it possible to continue this trend of improving upon these impressive levels of both productivity and water use efficiency in the future? I think it will be possible. I really do. Um, As an industry, we've gotten really good at watching, monitoring our nutrition, our water, 
And I, and I think there's still room for improvement there. I'll use our example. We went from flood irrigation, then developing newer orchards within micro sprinklers and drip irrigation. So that alone gave us huge tools because now we can water by need and fertilize by need. With flood systems, we had to sort of put it all out one time or a couple times and then flood the fields. And it was much more calendar based, not necessarily to the needs of the trees. So now that we're getting good at it, I think there is room for improvement personally. I mean, I think that the you know, hopefully as plant breeding and whatnot evolves and we can continue to that upward trend, I think we're going to need it given our cost structures and what, uh, what we're dealing with here. To continue pushing his water efficiency, Sal started adding a dual system to new orchards, giving him a chance to tailor his irrigation and fertility to varieties within the block. He's also installed dendrometers, which are devices that are mounted on the trees themselves to track water uptake by measuring changes in the trunk's diameter. We have a, a block that we just put in. It's 50% Nonpareil, 50% Monterey. And what we did, and we've been doing, is we've been putting in a dual system. We're able to control the irrigation on the Nonpareil exclusively and on the Monterey exclusively. So that gives us some really good tools. And one of them, I would say, is managing your water differently. An almond is not just an almond. I would I say that you know, every variety is different. So at harvest, when you go for dry down or you're stressing your non-pareils, you don't want to necessarily stress your Monterey's. So having a dual system where I literally just crack one valve and I can water all my Monterey's while deficit irrigating my non-pareils is a big deal. So we like to put in our new systems that way. It does. It is more expensive, but it gives you the ability to not stress your trees out at harvest. And, and then you flip that, you know, when you go to stress your Monterey's, your nonpareil nuts are off, but you know your tree is still still needing water, even though the nuts the crop is off of it. So now you're able to hydrate those nonpareils well, so that you can set uh, good growth for your following year for your next crop. And I'll take it a step further: is that I like the dual system because you can also fertilize differently. I have situations where I will fertilize 90 pounds of nitrogen on the nonpareils and only 60 pounds of nitrogen on the Monterey, as an example. So now within a field, you're able to control how you water and how you fertilize, how you manage the, the, those orchards. So, it's, it's, you know, it's more tailored to the actual variety and the actual tree. It's not necessarily, you know, you turn on the water and everything's got to get wet. I'll take that a step further now with dendrometers. I could have a non-pareil showing some mild stress today while the Monterey is not. So I can turn the water on the non-pareil and not the Monterey. At the end of the day, what does what that come down to? You have a savings in water, and you're saving in fertilizer if you're managing those accordingly. It's something that makes us a lot more efficient and keeps us in the game longer, you know, with the way our costs are increasing. Sal says he tested the dendrometers out on one block at first and has since had them installed on all of his orchards. To give you an idea, a 50-acre block would require three of these dendrometers on each variety. The company Sal works with also installs moisture sensors as well. Sal's going to walk us through all the details of how he's using this dendrometer technology and what it's been able to do for their water efficiency at Burford Ranch. But before he does, I asked if he'd maybe start off our featured conversation by explaining what led him to explore this option in the first place. You know, for me, what I liked about the dendrometer specifically is that it's telling me a story about the tree. So when I was approached with that, I talked to some neighbors that were using it, and the way they 
told me was like, this is like having an EKG machine on your tree. You know, you're able to read it at any one point and you're, it's constant data. So it's data that you're getting multiple times a day. It's constantly reading. So, you know, what's a neutron probe? It's one reading one time at a certain time of the day, once a week or twice a week. But with the dendrometers, it's literally real time. You're getting multiple measurements per day. So that it's telling you a better story of what that tree is going through. And so I think for me, that was something that was really convincing that I thought now, you know, this is something that is a game changer. And I know, like I said, there's other technologies that are also doing similar things right now. It's more, you know, you're getting data on a daily basis. And, and I think it really comes down to that is you're having good data to work off of can make you make micro adjustments that over the long run give you savings. And so I think for us, that was huge. That was critical at a time where we really needed to go in that direction because of, of the pressure of, of, you know, not having the water. I started with 40 acres and I really liked it. More than anything, I liked how the trees looked all year. And I will say this, it's a learning process. And it takes a lot to change how you do things because, you know, we're used to doing things a certain way. And so I had to learn to adjust and, and so did my team, my irrigators and, and even my dad for that matter. And so learning to modify your operations is hard, but the proof is in the pudding. When you see the results, I think that's what gets you really moving in that direction. So we went from 40 acres to 500 acres and now to all of our orchard with all of our orchards with about 2,800 acres. Yeah. And what did you see in that first block that convinced you, okay, we got to keep rolling this out? You know, what was the result from that first uh, experiment? For us, it was the trees were just healthier all year. We were actually using less water, which was huge. And so we went from, you know, irrigating 36 to 48 hours a week while we ended up putting on more like 24 hours a week, but more split up you know, less water, but more frequently. So what it did is the tree had what it needed when it needed it, as opposed to trying to fill the glass at the beginning of the week and hoping it would carry through the week. We, we ended up giving it less water, just more frequently. Now, what that meant is obviously adjusting our operations uh, with our labor and along with that, you know, your spray programs, herbicide programs, you have to modify all that because now you're irrigating just, just a lot more frequently and, and it becomes all the more critical. Make sure you're, there's no leaks. Make sure there's no coyotes out there eating up your lines. And if there are, you got you to gotta get in there. You got to fix them because you're going to have tractors going through there and the likelihood is there's probably going to be water running. So we had to really shift in that direction. But going back to your question, you know, healthier trees, we use less water and the yield didn't change that first year, but the way the tree grew definitely led to higher yield growth the following year. And like I said, for us, the visual was really what made the difference. And it, it took a lot of, of the guesswork out of irrigation. Like I referred to earlier, you asked me the question of how, what we used to do before, you know, going off of a, a water schedule spreadsheet and um, some pro breedings and then using a lot of the visual and experience. This took some of the guesswork out of that, but I think it became another tool that we were able to incorporate and really hone down and narrow down how to use that water. You said earlier that, you know, when you were thinking about this, you called some neighbors that you knew were using dendrometers and asked them, 
you know, when you ask them for the pros and the cons, what types of things did you hear? You know, I, I heard a lot of pros. So yeah, it was it was the water savings. It was again taking out the guesswork and a couple of the growers that I asked. I mean, they're they're just they're high performers. You know, they they're thirty five hundred plus pounds year in and year out. You know, and so hearing that from someone that that consistently produces a good crop of almonds, I think that gave it a lot of credibility. Honestly, that's all I needed. One thing that I experienced that uh, was something I'm, I'm cautious about to this day is um. The second year we we had them on the larger block on the 500 acre block, we had a big stress event. It was a windy day and it was the middle of June. You know the trees are stressing and so it, all alerts said, "Hey, get some water on there." So we did. We started the water. Well, by the end of the day, the the winds had kicked up to like 25, 30 miles an hour. A con or, or something that you know I would be cautious of and just be mindful of is that uh, wetted soil, heavy trees, and wind all in one don't necessarily combine it. So we ended up losing a lot of trees. We ended up losing about 120, 140 trees. So that was something that, you know, for me was a learning experience. And I, and I provided back to the company and I said, yeah, you know, this is, it's something to keep in mind, you know, that why was that stress present? You know, maybe, maybe the best choice that day would have been to just hold off because the trees were stressing. They have this hot wind on them. They're just going through, you know, a tough day. Water wasn't the best solution that day. You know, we ended up losing about, like I said, 120, 140 trees, which, you know, if you think about it, it's about an acre. And the hassle of obviously having to remove those trees. You know, so that's something that I always keep in mind. It's like, where is the stress coming from? Okay, it's, you know, it's 95 degrees, it's hot. Okay, you know, I haven't irrigated in three days. Okay, this is something that is very likely related to water. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it takes some analyzing as well, you know, um, Perfect example is is we put some this year on almonds with micro sprinklers and so there's different levels. There's there's a dark green, there's a green, there's a yellow, there's an orange, and there's a red. And so progressively, dark green is is like too wet, green is good, yellow is mild stress, orange is moderate stress, red is a lot of stress. On these micro sprinklers, we noticed that um, we irrigate and the next day, literally the day that the water was taken off, the trees were showing red. And it's like, what, what's going on? You know, a day after, the day after it irrigated, it's like, why, why are, you know, this is not stress. So it's part of learning the technology and learning what's out there. And, and so working with our field rep, we figured out the micro sprinklers were wetting that trunk. So that trunk was naturally taking up the moisture and expanding. Well, a day after you took the water off, there's a major contraction because the water's off. It's like a sponge, you know, on that on that trunk. Long story short, with that, we ended up adjusting those micro sprinklers in those areas where our dendrometers are located because that's it's really giving you a false reading. What it is is the tree got wet, it took up too much water. Now it's the water's off, it's drying out, but it's not representative of water uptake. It's water literally that got on the tree because of the micro sprinkler. So and we had never seen that with drip. I had initially adopted this all on drip. And when I went to the micro sprinklers, that was, that was a new learning experience for all of us. And it's like, okay, make sure the water is not hitting those trunks. It's going to give you a false reading. You know, what I take from it is that uh, you're getting the data and it's data, but be analytical of the data too. You know, kind of don't just take it for what it is. Look at it and be objective about it and make that choice and decision based on 
you know, your experience. And for us, it's been learn as you go. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I imagine when you're looking at this technology, you also looked at things like satellite that could try to calculate ET to get similar data in real time. What made you go this direction as opposed to something like that, that would essentially be giving you some of the same information, at least in theory? For me, I go back to it. This is something that is on the tree. It is reading the plant. I think for something like a satellite base or even soil base, I know with my experience in other crops, you know, sometimes you can have a wet soil, but the, the crop will just not uptake the water. And so there's multiple issues why that could be. It, it's not necessarily that the plant is lacking moisture. So for me, it's just having that plant-based data. You know, there's something literally measuring the tree as opposed to something satellite, you know, like and we've done imaging, aerial imaging and, and whatnot. And uh, again, good tools, valuable for certain things, but maybe not for others. But what I noticed there is that there could be a stressor that could say, hey, you know, this, this part of your orchard is, is, is stressing. And we could attribute it to, say, water stress. But then you go out there and it's like, well, it's not water stress. We did that one year. We did, we did some trials with that. And so trees are stressing. And so we went out there and the data, the imagery was showing tree stress. We thought, okay, it's water. It must be a sand pocket or something to the like. So initially it's like, okay, react, water, water. Let's, let's irrigate. Let's, let's make sure we mitigate that. What's well, still showing stress? It's like, man, what the heck? So we get out there and it was the complete opposite. There was Phytophthora. So those trees were stressing and they were hurting, but it was because of Phytophthora. So what did we do? We actually exacerbated the problem, made it worse. Like, again, it's been a few years since I've looked at imagery and those technologies, and I'm sure they're like the dendrometers are getting better and able to decipher, you know, some of these different stressors. So nothing against them. But uh, for me, it was that data point coming off of the actual plant, which, you know, going back to the wind example, wind can also be a stressor. And so it makes you be on your toes better because stress can also come from pests, you know, mites. So there's also a key to where you place the dendrometers, knowing your soil types, knowing your irrigation system. How can you actually manage that water? So I'll say this, I typically don't like to put, like say I have a four set system. I'd like to have at least one site, one dendrometer site per set. It does no good to put three dendrometer sites on one set and not on the others, because now I'm only getting one story and I can't manage my water that way. So it's good to have these devices set in areas where, okay, that's a sand streak and I can isolate that valve. I can water it more. Those are things to think about as you're, as you're looking at putting these in and working with the companies is where I place it. Can I actually make a difference? Can I actually make a management decision that's going to matter? That I think is key is, is, is really looking at your soil types and your system, your irrigation system. Can that data itself lead to a good management decision that you can make? That's pretty cool. You know, taking you back to your, your MBA days, I'm sure you use that information a lot to calculate ROI, you know, calculate return on investment on all the investments you make on the farm. So for this one, with it maybe not getting the yield bump in year one and having the extra you know, costs associated with the labor of irrigating in this way, 
What does that sort of ROI calculation look like for you? Because I'm sure people who are listening are going to wonder like, all right, hey, what return on investment will I get for this? Right. So it ends up being, you know, a 40 to $45 an acre, you know, expense. But for us consistently, we've seen 300, 400, 500 pound an acre increments in yield. And on top of that, you know, anywhere from half to three quarter acre foot in savings. And when you're paying $300 an acre foot for water, you know, those savings add up real quick. I think the one thing that is challenging is, is that there is, you know, that additional labor, that additional having someone out there more frequently. So therefore, you know, you have to check your lines, you have to do everything, check your system, make sure it's all good. And um, like, I, I haven't gone to automation because I, I like someone being out there to start the pump and to make sure someone didn't flip the wrong switch or close a valve or something. And I mean, I know now there's even automated valve openings and there's different things. It's very complex now. And I, I, I haven't got that far in, in what we do in, in our operation. I still trust the <laughs> good old human instinct being out there. And, and so one wrong thing going out there, you know, can lead to a blown pipe or something that can easily add up to thousands of dollars and, in repairs. So for us, it's, it's always, you know, farming, clean, farming neat and having someone out there. So there is an expense to that, but I also think that you limit issues that can become big issues real quick. We have a lot of theft, a lot of vandalism out here. So it's always important for us to, to go out there and visually inspect, you know, what's out there, what would make sure there's no issues, no problems. So we're old school in that regard. <laughs> You know, I still hold that tight to me. I mean, holding that we do need to have eyes and ears on the ground. Um, so there's that expense, but I also feel that that pays itself because you're able to avert other things that can be potentially very expensive. Yeah, makes sense. Sal, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Anything else that you thought you might want to mention uh, today before I let you get on with your day? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I, I feel that for us with the dendrometers and it being a new tool for us, it's made us better and it's making us be better. We, we're trying to limit and reduce our water use. And that in itself is a benefit. But to also see that the better use of the resource. And I think it makes me question other resources that we do use. So one thing is the savings. But the other thing is how using it differently actually makes it being better like that that resource is now making you better it's doing better for you so it makes you ask those questions about other things and and so you know if someone's looking at it strictly for water savings the ROI is there but I really think it's multifaceted and that is for me what really drives the conversation is that we're able now to to manage a variety like buy the variety and five ten years ago I don't think you would have heard that we're managing literally down to the variety and the dendrometer is a big part of that. I just think that that's, that's something to keep in mind is that you're, you're able to get better at what you do. It's, it's, it's improvement. It's not the end of the road. We continue, we move forward. We, we definitely, there's other things on the horizon that we look at and we're looking at, continue to look at, but this is one that for us has really been of great benefit. Thanks so much to Sal Parra Jr. for sitting down with us for today's episode. Dendrometers are certainly one tool in the toolbox for improving water use efficiency. 
And this helps us make strides toward the almond industry's 2025 goal to reduce the amount of water used to grow a pound of almonds by an additional 20%. And there are a couple of other resources also worth mentioning that can help with this water use efficiency challenge. And we'll feature those on today's ABC update. There's never been a more important time to reaffirm that we're doing everything we can to be as efficient as possible with scarce water resources. The Almond Board of California wants to make sure everyone in the industry has the research and tools to make optimal decisions on their operations when it comes to irrigation. One of these efforts, says Tom Duvall, Senior Manager for Field Outreach and Education at ABC, involves partnering with local resource conservation districts. For growers, water is always a major concern, even in normal years. This being a dry year, it's of more concern. A big thing we're doing this year, and we've done this for the last few years, is working with local resource conservation districts, or RCDs. We work with a number of them that provide distribution uniformity testing. So they actually go out in the field and they measure how evenly water is being distributed through the irrigation system and sit down with the grower afterwards and gives a report and really digs into how the grower can improve. A big area we've seen um, that we learned through this is leaks. We discover leaks while doing these tests, and they really measure up to a lot of water that can be saved. Partnerships like this one not only provide a valuable service to growers, but they leverage grower dollars by utilizing partners for local service providers. There are RCDs that have what's called a mobile lab, and currently we're working with three throughout the state. So covering pretty much the whole state. And again, if you reach out to us at fieldoutreachalmondboard.com, we can help direct you to them and we support them so they can provide free evaluation for growers. Normally, this is about a thousand dollar project if you were to hire it out. So it's a great opportunity for almond growers. Another great opportunity is tapping into the latest in irrigation research by getting your own copy of the Irrigation Continuum. The Irrigation Continuum was a collaboration with the Almond Board and the UC Advisors. And it's really an amazing guide on how to irrigate. There's a lot of irrigation manuals on how to design an irrigation system, but this one's focused on how to actually apply water, how to check and see how much water you're going to need to apply, to calculate what your need is, to measure how much you are applying. It's a, a wonderful manual on how to execute. So it's about 150 pages, very detailed, and it's available to any grower that asks for one. To get your copy, just send Tom and his team an email at fieldoutreach at almondboard.com. The Almond Board relies heavily on the Irrigation and Nutrients Work Group, which is composed of growers and other stakeholders that inform what research and resources are needed in the industry in these areas. If you'd like to learn more about that work group or access any of these resources we just discussed, just make sure you reach out via that same email. Once again, that's fieldoutreach at almondboard.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Almond Journey podcast. We believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own, of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders like Sal may have sparked a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. That's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice and pass it along to others in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. <laughs>